You are here with Kara and Catherine, and this is for Church Girls Only. Real conversations for today's church girl, navigating life with salvation in mind. We are here for another episode of For Church Girls Only, and today we are talking about breaking church traditions and nonconformity in the church. So, I don't know. I can't promise that this one is not going to end up being a hot topic. I don't know. We're going to go where the spirit of tradition breaking is leading us. Amen. So we kind of decided to talk about this today. Just, you know, Car and I talk and, you know, we'll, we'll hop on and just catch up before we actually film our episodes. And I brought up that I recently heard uh, a minister say that, you know, we are, we are living in a time of being exiles in the world, like as Christians, you know, we are, we are living in exile from our heavenly home. And as you know, the, the sermon progressed, the comment was made something, and I'm not quoting verbatim, but something along the lines of things are the way they are and we shouldn't change them. We have to learn how to live with things being the way that they are and not try to quote unquote, buck the system. And my immediate response, like my thought to that was, but if things were never meant to change and the system was not meant to be bucked, why did Jesus come in the first place? Like if nothing needed to improve and salvation didn't need to happen, you know, why did God make that sacrifice of sending his son to buck the system and to teach us how to do it as well? So that turned into this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, I think that when we're talking about, you know, breaking traditions and um, nonconformity in the church, I think it's important to address the fact that all traditions were not based off of the Bible and off of the word of God, but they've been enforced as truths. Yes. And a lot of times, um, and I think we kind of touched on it just a little bit when we did our episode on church hurt, um, how that can ostracize and really kind of cut people off from the church and wanting to be a part of the church because of the way that things are enforced. And it's really not the Bible that's being enforced. It's, it's just traditions. It's preferences. Um, it's longstanding rules and regulations that have been passed down from the elders before us and the elders before them, but you really can't establish it or give reason for it in the form of biblical scripture and context. Yes. For me personally, the biggest tradition bucking (laughs) thing that I had to deal with was how people dressed in the church where it was a 
I guess, like two ends of the spectrum where people want to say, you know, Jesus says, come as you are. And the other side, it says, Jesus said, bring your best. Neither of those things were talking about attire. And, <laughs> and for me, I remember growing up that the church that I went to, women were not allowed to wear pants. And I rem my most vivid memories of that time were involved slips and stockings on a summer Sunday in the South. <laughs> and I remember coming to church and like scratching the skin off of my legs because the stockings were so itchy and like sneaking to the bathroom to take my slip off because I was so hot and like my mom eventually putting me in like the full slip so that I couldn't get it off <laughs> like from under my dress. <laughs> Sitting in church just being miserable because I was so hot and so itchy and I also remember at that time that our particular church the men and the women weren't allowed to sit together so even to this day um and you know this wasn't this was not that long ago this was probably late 90s early 2000s not that long ago and i distinctly remember the women had to sit on the left the men had to sit on the right they had the motherboard at the front left and the deacon board at the front right like i remember this where you know i couldn't even sit with my brothers because they had to sit on the men's side and I had to sit on the women's side. So, you know, it, I remember that. And I remember there was this outfit. Oh my gosh, I wish I still had a picture of it, but it was like the big bell collar and the, the long, like wide leg pants. So it was like this huge jumpsuit kind of thing, but the pants were, the legs were so wide that if I stood with my legs together, it looked like I was wearing a dress. And I remember the preacher's wife coming up to me and saying, oh, that is, maybe it wasn't the preacher's wife, it was, it was an elder woman in the church, came up to me and said, oh, your dress is so pretty. And I like jumped up and like jumped with my legs apart. And I was like, ha it's pants. <laughs> <gasps> These are memories I have from going to church as a kid and you know you know being a kid and being in high school that you know it was enforced that women had to dress a certain way you were not allowed allowed to wear pants you had to wear a dress it had to be a certain length you know all of these different rules that were not based in scripture now you know flash forward to my adult years you know still having the same conflicts in a in another congregation even as, as, as early as three years ago, still dealing with the same traditionalism where, you know, women were allowed to wear pants, but you can't wear jeans to church. You can't wear, you know, skirts that are a certain length. Well, no, let me take that back because there were women in there who wore essentially mini skirts to church and they were, you know, super tight, but it was more of a problem that I wore jeans that it was for someone to wear something tight and form-fitting excuse me and you know not to try to you know I'm not trying to shame anybody you know for what they wear but 
as we'll talk in another episode about, you know, probably touch on it in the hierarchy of sin, you were more concerned that I was wearing the wrong type of pants than you were about someone wearing something that was revealing and inappropriate for the environment. Um, so, you know, even the clothing thing, that being based in tradition rather than scripture and being on, you know, opposite ends of that spectrum. Yeah, I think that for me, I kind of had similar experiences in church with like the clothing thing and the way that I dress, um, you know, growing up in church for me, I at a very early age started like wearing my hair natural and had like a huge fro like all throughout high school. And my mom was like a huge supporter of it. Like, yeah, you know, express yourself, do you? So I would wear like these graphic t-shirts and I would wear sneakers to church. And my mom would be like, oh, it's so cute. And then my dad hated it. Like, <laughs> he was like, you are not wearing tennis shoes in the pulpit. And I'd be like, but <laughs> why I can't wear my tennis shoes though? Like my tennis shoes was fly, I love them. <laughs> and so, you know, we kind of bumped heads on that. And my dad would basically tell me like, okay, cause I was in the choir at the time. Like, you know, if you're not, if you're not gonna wear some church shoes, you know, to in the choir stand, then you can't sing in the choir. He knew how much I love singing. So, you know, my little sneak compromise was I ended up getting like some slippers. I don't know if you guys remember those slippers that had like the mesh kind of netting on the front with like the sequence designs that look like flowers. I started wearing those <laughs> instead of the tennis shoes. <laughs> um, first. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing so hard because he hated those way more than tennis shoes. So I was like, so I could wear my tennis shoes then. I could wear my tennis shoes now. And so then he ended up compromising with me. But it was just funny because, you know, at the time I'm like 15, 16, 16 years old. Like, what do you expect me to like to wear to church? Like, I'm not trying to wear high heels and stockings. You know, I want to be young. I want to, you know, wear what's appropriate for my age. Um, but you know, anything from, from that era, even into, you know, coming into becoming an adult and just realizing like different people are going to have different preferences about what is appropriate, uh, um, you know, from the pastor to the mother in the church to, you know, your friend or your peers, like everybody's going to have their own preference. But I think the problem comes in when people are trying to make you fit in the box that they've created for you and really not taking into account what God may, may be saying or may be leading and directing you to. Because if we all look the same, if we all dress the same, like it kind of limits our reach in terms of who we draw in. Yes, and you know, that, that statement there, um, you know, what, what God is trying to say, it just made me think of, and, and your story about you and your dad and the tennis shoes, that's hilarious. Um, but it made me think of the, the struggle that we had at our last congregation in this particular area, because there were lots of struggles, but in this particular area, because my husband was so active in, in you know, the worship services and everything. And he had expressed to me that, you know, he didn't want to feel like he was forced to wear a tie to church because he was just like, it's hot, it's uncomfortable. I just want to be able to dress nicely and go, you know, go to church. And, you know, we had the same struggle where he was told that 
if he did not wear, you know, a suit and a tie that he was not allowed to serve in church. And, you know, he was tried, they tried to, you know, kind of not really like he was ostracized for it, you know, to use that word. And he was just like, this is, you know, I don't want anybody to force me to do this. Like if I choose to wear a tie, I can wear a tie, but it needs to be okay if I don't. So he stopped serving in church. And when it got to the point where they were like, okay, we don't have enough men. We need, you know, need you to serve. Um, you know, they kind of, you know, backed off of it a little bit and it still wasn't, he still didn't come to church in like jeans and tennis shoes, but he would wear like a polo shirt, khakis, and that would be okay. And, you know, it kind of, you know, younger men kind of followed suit and they were like, well, we don't want to wear a tie either. So it, you know, it kind of relaxed the dress code a little bit, but, you know, the ones who wanted to wear the suit and tie, they were allowed to do that. Those who didn't want it, they were allowed to do that. And it was a compromise so that everyone could serve and be served in the way that, you know, they felt led to do. And, you know, there have also been instances where, you know, there was a young man I remember who came to church and I, and I was wearing jeans because I was just like, I'm wearing jeans. I'm not, I don't like being in dresses unless it's a summer dress, I'll put that on. But, you know, just the fancy three-piece suit dresses, we're not doing it. Um, <laughs> and I was wearing jeans and the young, there was a young man who came into the church and he was wearing a t-shirt and shorts, like uh, running shorts, basketball shorts. Yeah, the long ones. And he came in, he kind of looked around and nobody, you know, really spoke to him or greeted him. And I was like, hey, come over here and, you know, you can sit with me. So he came and sat down next to me and, you know, enjoyed worship service, whatever. After service was over, I was like, are you visiting here or is this your first time? He was like, no, I grew up in this church. And I was like, are you serious? Like, he, this was the church that he grew up in. He had gone to college and come back for a visit. And because of the way he was dressed, people would not even speak to him. And I was just like, how do you expect to be able to reach anybody for Christ if you're holding on to these traditions that somehow, because you are not dressed the way that I am, you are less than me. And it makes me think of the scriptures where they talk about the, the communion and how the people in the early church were supposed to treat, you know, people in the community who were poorer than them. Like they were given instructions, you know, do not hold the good food for yourselves. Don't feast and then let people come in and have your scraps. And when they come in, don't, you know, don't put them on the floor to sit at your feet because they're not dressed as well as you are. You know, there, there should be no hierarchy of who is deserving of the communion and community. You know, you're supposed to treat everybody equal. Don't show favoritism. And I think through the traditionalism of the church, people continue to show favoritism. And, and the, the irony of it was that you know, at least at this particular congregation, people would show favoritism and then get up and serve the Lord's Supper and quote that scripture about not showing favoritism. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's going to go, you know, right over your head. Um, 
but you know there you know there's so many different things and i understand where you know this particular and, and i know we're harping on the kind of the clothing issue right now but that's a big thing and i don't think people understand the the ramifications of withholding grace because of someone's attire and their appearance i understand where it came from that you know especially in you know the earlier part of the 20th century because our community typically didn't have a lot sunday was the one time that we could you know put on our dress clothes and give god our best because despite our circumstances we were still blessed to have this one outfit and you know this is what we wore to church to show just how thankful we were and that tradition has you know bled into generations because like you said the elders and their elders said this is how we're going to show god we're thankful we're going to put on our best attire and go to worship and it has you know that tradition has overtaken scripture which is not what was ever meant to happen yeah i also feel like it's important to to state that sometimes things are lost in translation um you know it, what started out as us really trying to um trying to reiterate that God is of importance to us, that we're grateful that we are, um, by us dressing this way, we are, is a form of us showing our gratitude for what God has given us. Um, we kind of lost that meaning of it. And now it's just like, these are the rules. This is how you have to show up. This is how you have to present yourself. And so when we are, um, and I would say we, meaning the church, when we are more sticklers about um, the appearance of a thing, it really leaves room for there to be a disconnect on the inward things. There can be a disconnect um, in people's worship and their presentation to God in terms of their offering of worship and service and gratitude, mm -hmm. simply because we're trying to put these restrictions on them, um, on the outer man or the outer appearance. And, you know, there's so many scriptures that talk about God looking at the heart and looking at what's going on on the inside. He's able to decipher because we can dress up all day, right? We can, we can look the part all day, but at the end of the day, God is very concerned more so about what's going on inwardly and how, how are we really relating to him in our day to day? How do we really feel about him? Cause I can put on a suit and still have hatred in my heart. I can put on a suit and still not be worshiping um, from a pure place. I could just be playing the part. And I think that, especially for me, as I grew up in church, I realized that what's most important about church for me is the relationship. Do, is my relationship with God authentic? Um, and am I doing what I'm doing for him from a pure place? And I, I want to mention while we're talking about attire and dressing up to go to church that we have, we are wearing these absolutely fabulous earrings by Love My Character. <laughs> because when we do go to church, even though we're going to rage against the machine, we do it in style. Yes, sis. Love earrings. <laughs> yeah, putting that out there. <laughs> love it you know you know even talking even beyond the clothing issue you know we have things where we have to deal with you know women's roles in the church 
and coming from, you know, the traditional place, you know, everybody knows the scripture um, <clears throat> that talks about, you know, a woman is to be silent in the church. God! <laughs> we know that scripture. But then we have to talk about Phoebe, who was named as a deacon in the church. And, you know, on my other podcast, Yoked, we talked about, my husband and I talked about um, the name Phoebe and the woman who almost destroyed the church. Because, again, there's a dichotomy of women can't say anything in church. Phoebe was a deacon. She had a lot to say. And understanding that whether or not you believe that women should be preachers, ministers, whatever, women have a very critical role in the survival of the church. Whether it is preaching from the pulpit, if that is what your particular um, denomination believes, or if it's, you know, guiding children in Sunday school or leading ministries or being, whatever you believe, women have a very critical role in the health and survival of the church. Because even if you look at, if you want to take the, the stance that the woman, the man is the head of the family, he's the head of the church, um, and that the roles that women and men play parallel the relationship of Jesus and the church as his bride. Wherever you fall on that, that spectrum, women have a critical role in the church. And to say that women cannot do anything or cannot lead is a tradition that is not based in scripture. Who sis? Say that for the people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, you know, I know that we have people of different, you know, faiths and denominations that listen to this um, podcast. So I am Church of Christ. My particular denomination believes that women do not get into the pulpit. I personally don't have an issue with women who are in the pulpit. My personal belief is I do enough mon Monday through Saturday. I'm not, I'm trying to sit down and take a break on Sunday. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> That's just my personal belief. I don't have an issue with women being in the pulpit. But as a member of the Church of Christ, where I have found a lot of conflict in my spiritual walk is when the traditionalism comes into play that says, even though I'm not supposed to be in the pulpit, I can't do anything in the church. And that is, that is so far from what scriptures call us to do, that is just infuriating. Um, to say that, you know, my only role can be a teacher is infuriating. That is, that is not uh, scriptural. That is very traditional. So, you know, understanding where the line is between tradition and scripture is very is vitally important in growing the kingdom because if we are constantly fighting over what we can and cannot do we're not doing anything and then we are living in sin because we are not following scripture that that you know has commanded us to do yeah i mean there's just there's a lot of scripture that 
that back up. Um, and I, I'm trying to be a little more politically correct when it comes to this topic because it actually hits close to home for me. First of all, me being a minister and being a preacher, but then also my mom is my pastor. Yeah. Um, and we've dealt with, with that, you know, on a personal note with people feeling like, you know, they can try to diminish or disrespect the role of her leadership simply because she is a woman. And, you know, when, when I, I'm trying, I was trying to find the scripture, but, and I know that I am paraphrasing, but it, it literally kind of says that there is neither male nor female. Mm -hmm. In other words, that, you know, when God is looking at us as his body, he's not saying, you know, oh, you know, you're qualified simply because of your gender or you're not qualified because of your gender. That's not how this works. And then furthermore, you wouldn't see examples um, of women serving in ministry in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, in the Old Testament, you see that there's prophetesses. There's women that, are, that play pivotal and vital roles. And even if they weren't given necessarily a uh, title but I mean they changed you have Deborah the judge who was put over everybody but you that know. part <laughs> that part um and and also realizing too that even even smaller roles um we talked about Rahab in one of our episodes mm -hmm. realizing that when 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 a woman is mentioned in scripture it's not like oh this there's an exception to the rule no this is God trying to show you, like, I use whom I choose to use. Right. And it's not our job or our position um, to say who's qualified or unqualified and what those prerequisites are, because only God gets to say that. Right. Um, and so, you know, if I could end off, you know, from this point concerning, you know, trying to say a female can or can't do in the church yeah. is if we really look at things, the church would not survive without a female. <laughs> The church would not survive without women. Um, and I, I, I pray that we grow in, in our knowledge and in our understanding and in our acceptance in realizing that God has created us um, with different strengths and with different abilities. Um, and I'm talking about it in terms of gender and realizing that we can't diminish either one. We can't diminish one another. We have to work together in order to be whole and in order for us to be a complete and effective body. And so when you talk about things like that in terms of tradition, um, I, I'm Pentecostal. Um, our, our denomination is Pentecostal Assemblies of the World. Um, but you'll find within the organization that they're just now starting to like gradually move towards like elevating women to different positions that they haven't been elevated to before. Yeah. Um, and it's really, it's inspiring to see, but it's also like, for me personally, it's like, man, it's about time. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, this probably should have been happening because there's been so many um, just powerful women of God that have done so much um, in ministry and have done so much for the kingdom of God that really it's it's almost kind of it's almost kind of sad that we are waiting on someone to recognize us for that yeah and you know it's 
I really love that you said the part about waiting for someone to recognize us because in my particular churches, as I think what saddens me the most is, you know, you're always going to have, you know, the patriarchal view of a woman has to be in this certain role. But for women who, you know, they, they ascribe to that through their defiance. And I say that because what I've seen, and even in my, you know, in, in occasion on my behalf, where, you know, if, some, if a woman is said, you know, you can't have a particular title, then they resolve to not do the work. And the work is more important than the name that you're called. And, you know, trying to find the balance between an understanding between am I doing this for recognition or am I doing this for the kingdom? Because even though I don't call myself a minister, I know that I am a minister when it comes to marriages and to mentoring other women coming behind me. My, my favorite role model in scripture is the Titus 2 woman who her job is to teach the women coming behind her as she has learned from her own mistakes and is still growing to help them grow. The Titus II woman is a minister. Helping other people and mentoring is a ministry. So I don't have to call myself a minister in order to minister to people. And that's what's disheartening to me is that when I see people who God has put this, this ministry and this calling on their lives, not operating in their calling because they don't have a title, because they're, they're fighting while they're spending time fighting the traditions that are so deeply rooted in our church, they're missing out on the opportunity to do the ministerial work that they have been called to do. And that's where traditionalism can stunt the growth of the kingdom in that particular area. Absolutely. So, you know, me, I've, I've gotten to the point now, I'm like, you don't have to give me a title. I'm gonna do what I'm supposed to be doing because at the end of the day, you know, when, when God calls me, you know, up at the judgment, I can't give him the, the excuse that I didn't do what you asked me to do because somebody told me I couldn't. Ooh, sis, that's heavy right there. You know, that was, that was what, you know, the Holy Spirit had to tell me when we had to move away from a situation. It was like, you, you're, you don't get to use that excuse. God didn't say, do what I told you to do, do what I tell you to do, unless somebody says you can't. That conversation never happened. So. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we stepping into bounds where are we more concerned about men's opinion of us? Mm -hmm. Or are we more concerned about what God has, has told us and what God has called us to? Yeah. And I think that sometimes in, in this is, one of the things that we decided to, to kind of bring into this episode is talking about when to break tradition. And I think this is a prime example of that is when the traditions are holding you back from what you know God has called you to do. Mm -hmm. um, it's time to step out. And maybe you don't need the platform of the church to do the ministry that God has called you to do. And we talk about that, that ministry is not just in the four walls. Ministry is not just at the church or just because someone appointed you a title or a position, but ministry is actually 
the things that you do when no one else is looking, when you're not being recognized for it, when someone else is not patting you on the back for it. That's what real ministry is about. And realizing that if God has put a calling on your life to do something and to pour into people and to, you know, minister to people, then you are held accountable for what he's called you to do. Absolutely. I, um, the testimony that I have about that, I have a, he's a friend and former uh, co-worker when I worked at the university and he is a gay man and atheist or agnostic. I don't remember, but anyway, um, just one day out of the blue, he messaged me or he posted on my Facebook wall and said that before he met me, he had such a negative view of Christians because the only Christians he knew were hateful and hypocritical and just, you know, overall mean. And because he watched me and watched how I interacted with other people and interacted with him, that he was starting to look at Christians in a different light and, and, you know, thanked me for the way that I treated him and treated other people. And I never, you know, I didn't go out of my way to be nice to him. It was, you know, you're a human being. I respect you as a human being and I'm going to treat you as a child of God. It doesn't matter if you believe in him or not, you're still a child of God. And you know, he still sent his son to die for you, whether or not you choose to accept that salvation. That has nothing to do with me. My responsibility is to love you and, you know, and to treat you with kindness. And, you know, just being kind is a ministry. And I think, you know, we don't, we don't realize that the way that we talk to people, the way that we treat people, and like you said, the way that we you know, our integrity, what we do when people aren't looking and when we're not doing it for the accolades and acknowledgement, that is all ministry work. And from my personal experience, the people who have the most trouble understanding that are the ones who think that a church is the building with four walls and think that things can only be done to to glorify God and edify others within those four walls. Once you realize that you, the person who has the indwelling measure of the Holy Spirit, you are the church. When you realize that, your ministry has literally has no bounds, none. There's nothing that holds you back but yourself because now that ministry is in you and if you were holding it on the inside, you're the one that's doing the restricting, not the building. That entire part. Girl, and you hit the nail on the head. Once you realize that you are the temple, that, the, that there's scripture that said that, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Like God's spirit is dwelling on the inside of you. And you don't have to go in the four walls to, to feel him, to hear him, to do what he's called you to do. Your job is just to be obedient. There's a scripture, I believe it's in Romans 12 and 1, where it says to present your body as a living sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And realizing that that sacrifice can't be a once a week thing. 
or a twice a week thing, just the times that you go. And now we're not even going in the, the physical church right now. So, <laughs> you know, how are we presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice? And, and are we holding ourselves accountable to make sure that we are trying to fulfill God's will and not man's? Yes. Yes. So to talk about, you know, what we do, like how to break those traditions, you know, I think that's the first step is realizing that you are the temple, you know, like you just said, that it is your responsibility to do the work and to answer the calling that God has put on your life. You know, that's the, that's the first thing, you know, don't be held back by what someone else said that you can and cannot do because the calling that has been put on your life is for you and not for anybody else. If they don't understand it and don't accept it, that is, that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to answer the call that God has put on your life <clears throat> and to know that there is a calling on your life. Even if you haven't figured it out yet, know that there is a calling on your life. And if the ministry work that you're doing right now, if all you can do is be nice to other people, do that ministry. <laughs> work the kindness ministry um the other thing i wanted to mention this book i think especially for us i've, I've mentioned it before i got my little tabby here um a woman of strength and purpose i never thought that i was a strong-willed woman which is who which is how uh cynthia tobias refers us <laughs> as a strong-willed woman I didn't know that I even had it in me until I started bucking tradition within the church. And I was like, oh, this is what we're not going to do. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, understanding that, you know, when God puts this passion and this fire inside of you, that you have a responsibility to act, to act upon it, but there's a way to do it. I wanted to read a part from her book, uh, just a little uh, excerpt from her book where she says that uh, someone said, I asked my family for their support, but not their permission. I know what God is calling me to do and I must do it. Strong-willed women understand this degree of passion and purpose better than anyone else. We've been given gifts of determination, strength, and will. We tend to stand out. We understand that our purpose can't be taken lightly. We realize that when we dedicate our strong will to God, let me read that part again. We realize that when we dedicate our strong will to God, we choose to represent him to fulfill his plan, to be his hands and feet, even if it costs us everything. So just to reiterate, when God tells us to go, we go. <laughs> go first, ask questions later. <laughs> that part. <laughs> And don't feel like you have to, like, I, I love the way that you said that, that you don't have to wait to ask for permission. Um, especially, I mean, I understand that our pastors are there to be our spiritual guides and to give us sound counsel. But if, you know, you're going in to ask for permission, you might not get the answer or the response that you want or need. Um, it's probably better to just go in and to say, this is the things that God has placed on my heart to do. And I'm going to step out in these ways in doing them and pursuing them. 
Um, And then there's nothing wrong. And I would say um, probably one of the, I think you gave us two steps, but I think the third would probably be in finding support systems that can help to either grow you in the areas that you're seeking to expand in and to go out in in ministry, um, even if that's not in direct correlation or connection to your political, or excuse me, not political, but your church affiliation or your church organizations. Um, there's nothing wrong with finding other women of faith and like-mindedness that are already doing what you're doing, and you can draw inspiration from them as well as learn from them so that you can continue to do and walk out what God has called you to do. Yes. Um, And, you know, to add on to that, you know, we're not saying that, you know, just reiterating Cara, you know, we're not saying that you completely abandon, you know, your, the spiritual leaders who are, you know, have been ordained to be in positions to help you through that. But even in understanding, even in having ordained spiritual leaders, realizing that we are all humans and we're dealing with humans and a lot of times not a lot of times often enough when you go to a leader they may still be operating in the tradition and not in the spiritual so being able to recognize you know am i are they not supporting me because this is a you know this goes against scripture or are they not supporting me because it makes them uncomfortable? Um, you know, we, we deal too often with individuals who are in leadership positions who feel like it's a threat to them and their position to have someone come alongside them or have a better idea or want to do more in ministry. And, you know, not shaming them for their failures or their insecurities because that's a very real thing. But, you know, also understanding when it comes to what you're called to do, being very self-reflective and make sure that you're examining your actions and your intentions against the word of God to make sure that you're also going in the right direction. And if you are answering the call in your life, if it lines up with what scripture is telling you to do, and you're not getting that support from your church leadership, then yes, go out, find like-minded women who will support you and help you to grow. Because again, you have to answer for your own calling. So when we're talking about addressing or confronting traditionalism, what are some ways that we can confront it? Yeah. Um, so the the other book that I was reading from, The, uh, the Woman of Purpose, that book is, I, I love it. It's absolutely amazing for providing godly wisdom on how to confront people when you know you know something in based in traditionalism needs to change like it gives you what how god says to approach people which i wish i had had it before i started going head to head with some folks because i you know in my sin know that i did not come at it like i came at it with the best of intentions but my words did not really line up with those intentions because you know, just being honest, a lot of it was my pride was hurt and my feelings were hurt. And I'm like, I don't understand why you can't see where you are wrong. (laughs) So I did not come at it from, you know, the best perspective, but now I know better. And, you know, a part of that, um, 
another book that I absolutely love is uh, Nancy Eichmann, Seasoning Your Words. Um, it's God's recipe for controlling your tongue, <laughs> which this is not an effort to tell women to be silent. Not at all. It is saying like when you do speak, make sure that your words are seasoned in a way that they will be well received. And I've always touted this book for how we can talk to each other in marriage, especially for women talking to their husbands um, or talking to men in marriage. But it is very applicable to any relationship where at some point you're going to have a conversation, you know, knowing how to how to speak to people in a way that can reach them, um, you know, with grace. So in this book, you know, there's a bunch of different chapters and, and you know, things are broken down. And in one particular chapter, um, right, she talks about the Apostle John and how he used his words with rage. And then Absalom, how he didn't say anything, but he harbored a spirit of resentment. And then when he spoke out, how those words came out. And then he talks about, uh, she talks about Amos, who wasn't actually a prophet, but how he used his words and righteous indignation to, to speak to the people about what, they, what needed to change. And so I just want to read this. Amos, although untutored as a prophet, spoke out as God's instrument against religious apathy. Amos's anger at the injustices of Israel caused him to act, to speak up, to do something about the wrongs he witnessed. And she summarizes Amos's, the reactions to Amos's righteous indignation. So when he spoke, the words he spoke, they sought to correct wrong. They were guided by mercy. They sought, they sought justice, defended the truth, defended the other person, were required by Bible and destroyed evil. And that was in contrast to the way that the apostle John, when he was first, you know, starting in his walk as an apostle, how his words of rage affected people and how Absalom's feelings of resentment led to the murder of someone. So, you know, very much, you know, instructing us on how we use the words to get the results that we need and the results that we want. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, and I love how it gave those three different examples because a lot of times we don't check the place that we're coming from when we're speaking. Yeah. And that has a lot and a great deal to do with how it is received. And so, you know, um, there's another scripture in um, Colossians 4 and 6 that basically tells us that we are supposed to um, use our speech with grace and also to season our words with salt um, so that we can make sure that when we're telling people what we need to tell them, that it's going to be received and that they'll have an opportunity to sit and to think on what we've said and to really consider what's being said instead of immediately rejecting it just because of how we presented it to them. Absolutely. So we're going to end with this. 
go out and be great. No. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, seriously, it can be hard as women who are raised in the church to, when we're raised to respect authority and to, you know, listen to those who have been placed in leadership over us, to find the courage to ask questions and say, you know, this doesn't feel right, but what am I supposed to do about it? Because even in scripture, it says that we are to know the words for ourselves. And I'm terrible about, you know, remembering the scripture, but we're, so, we're commanded to spend time in the word and to know what the word says for ourselves. You know, we can go into, we can go to our religious leaders and say, what am I supposed to do about X, Y, and Z? But we're supposed to search the scriptures for ourselves. That is also our responsibility, is to search the scriptures and to know it ourselves. Amen. All right. So let's end this with, um, with, with a prayer, because I, growing up in church, we both, Catherine and I both know how difficult it can be to address and to break traditions. Um, and so we're going to pray and ask God um, to help those that are struggling with this and for those that need to step out of what they've been conforming to concerning traditions. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity um, to minister to our listeners today. We ask God that you would help us to be able to confront the traditions that we're experiencing in our churches. Um, I, I pray, Lord God, that you would give us wisdom First and foremost, Lord God, you said that if we lack wisdom, we can ask you because you'll give it to us liberally. So I pray that you would give us liberal wisdom today concerning how to address the traditions that we are sitting under and that we've been dealing with. And God, even if it's been holding us back from our purpose and from what you called us to do, God, we repent for the, the, lag, the lag and the stagnation. We repent today, Lord God, for allowing someone else to dictate to us what your will is for our life. And God, we ask that you would give us grace to be able to, to walk into the purpose that you called us to. We ask, Lord God, that you would give us, Lord God, the boldness, the holy boldness to be able to speak up, Lord God, and to ask the questions that need to be asked, Lord God. We ask that you would season our words with grace. We ask, Lord God, that you would allow our words to be received in love. We ask, Lord God, that you would even condition our hearts, Lord God, so that we are bringing things with the right attitude and with the right spirit. And God, I pray even now for every sister that is dealing with this. We pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen her, that you would encourage her heart, that you would continue to confirm and affirm the calling on her life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Cara and Catherine, and you've listened to another episode of For Church Girls Only. Make sure to follow us at For Church Girls Only on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, and Church Girls Only on Twitter. 